0: Download the Viator app now and use code VIATOR10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with
1: Viator. On this episode, I'm Brandon Bean. I thought you were Bruce. I'm both. I'm the columnist, I'm the analyst, and, and this, this is, is the, the Nick and Nolan, and Nolan show. show. You ready?
0: listening to the Nick and Nolan show a Buffalo Rumbling's podcast with your host Nick Bat sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where
2: it's going I just hope I find it along the way
0: and Bruce Nolan
2: I once worked with a guy for 3 years and never learned his name best friend I ever had
1: Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Along with me, Bruce Nolan, you can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. And so today we are going to do a podcast that is actually dedicated to talking about something that you
2: just wrote about. Right, Bruce? Yes, I just wrote a fairly significant article for Buffalo Rumblings, significant in size. I have no idea if it'll be significant in in reader feedback or impact, but I just wrote a big article for Buffalo Rumblings on, at this point now, we're coming up on three years. We're coming up on the third anniversary of Brandon Bean, and I thought it would be a good time to kind of take a retrospective on Brandon Bean. And as you start to see the plan unfold for how to build the Bills... You start to look back and go, okay, I see what I see what the plan was. A lot of people say that you can only really gain perspective from looking backwards, not forwards. And there's all sorts of, you know, philosophy and religious contexts to that phrase. But it applies in logistics as well. It's easier to see the plan looking backwards than it is to see the plan moving forwards. And so now that we've seen a bunch of steps, it's time to just take a pause real fast And just go back and walk through the steps that Brandon Bean implemented to rebuild the Buffalo Bills. Okay.
1: So, I mean, initially, we had a conversation, I think it was last year, talking about the draft. And and it was consistently one of the things that you were making a point of is that we don't have the data to trust that these guys are going to do the things that we think they ought to do or that we think are smart or anything like that. In general, have we before we get into the specifics of what Brandon Bean has done, do you think we've crossed that threshold at all?
2: I do. I think that when there is statistically significant data to give you an indication as to what type of person Brandon Bean is as far as what type of general manager, not what kind of person he is, you know, away from the organization, but what type of general manager he is, what is in his DNA because people talk all the time. Right. And they all say the same things. You know, we want to be a tough physical team. We want to run the ball, stop the run. It's all nonsense. All of it is nonsense. We're going to take the best player available. Guess what? That's also nonsense. It's all nonsense. People are judged based on what they do, not based on what they say. And so at the very beginning, when you say, well, we're just going to take him out his word, I'm not going to take him out his word. His word is garbage. I'm the trash man. I come out, I throw trash all over, the, all over the ring. And then I start eating garbage. There is no reason to take him at his word. They all lie. For goodness sake, there was a wonderful thing going around Twitter today that was screenshots of the Arizona Cardinals head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, saying, well, Josh Rosen's our guy. And then Matt Rule talking about how excited he was to coach Cam Newton in 2020. Well, Cam Newton just got cut and Josh Rosen is not the quarterback in Arizona. You can't take them based on what they say. They say nonsense. You only can judge people based on what they do. And now we have enough instances where if a situation were to present itself in the future, we would be able to look back at the past and say, okay, here's how Brandon Bean has historically acted in these similar situations, or here's how I think he's going to act based on these traits that he exhibited in the past. And so because of that, it's starting to kind of round into form. The opinion and the DNA of Brandon Bean is starting to come into focus now. And because of that, I think we can say yes, we crossed the threshold. We have what I would consider to be statistically significant data to indicate that we know Brandon Bean has a good idea of what he's doing. Okay. So how do you want to start? Do you want
1: to talk about what you know the bills were, what the state of the bills was at the time that he came on board? I mean, I can do my best with that if you then want to fill in the holes. Yeah, go ahead. We, okay. Which is that we had, we had... Cut ties with a Mr. Rex Ryan after he chose not to shave before a press conference. Uh, not for just that reason, but that was definitely a thing that happened. I remember specifically, I think it was a Matthew Fairburn tweet that had like a side by side of Rex Ryan on day one at the Ad Pro Sports facility in the suit, clean shaven, you know, looking, looking very, very uh, presentable and ready to go. And then at his last press conference with the stubble and he just looked beat down and tired and all of that. So we had moved on from Rex Ryan, Doug Whaley was the GM, but the bills brain trust had hired Sean McDermott. And we had just had the first draft of Sean McDermott's tenure. And that was the draft where he picked Zay Jones and, and uh, Matt Milano, and Dion Dawkins, and those guys. And now the Bills had got rid of all of the front office staff, all of Doug Whaley, his assistants, his uh, front office personnel, and all of the scouting department. And the Bills then, after the draft, bring in
2: Brandon Bean. Is that suitable to start? Yeah, I think that's a suitable, a reasonable facsimile of where we were as far as putting it in audio format. I think that that's a reasonable way to start. Enter Brandon Bean stage left. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So
1: your your article was, I, I think I understood this correctly, that your article was attempting to... Allow to like take on Brandon Bean's voice. So if, if he's in an interview with the Pagulas, and at the time Russ Brandon and maybe uh, Sean McDermott probably wasn't present, but with the Pagoulas and Russ Brandon and, and or anybody else who had some sort of decision making power with the organization and they were asking Brandon Bean, what are you going to do with this? You were attempting to present an outline of what Brandon Bean, at least based on what he has done, what he may have told
2: them he wanted to do. Is that right? Yeah, it's completely impossible to know exactly what the plan is because we weren't a fly on the wall during that conversation. But there's obviously things that didn't happen, right? There were moves that Brandon Bean wanted to make that didn't get made. We know that. That's It's completely impossible for it to be otherwise. There were moves that he wanted to make that he didn't get to make. In addition, there were things that popped up that were surprising to him. There was no chance that he planned for Richie Incognito deciding after his restructured contract that now he's mad and he's going to walk away. There was no chance he had planned for Eric Woods' scenario. Obviously, we kicked the tires on Antonio Brown, right? There's all sorts of things that didn't necessarily flesh out the way he thought he was going to, but I try to keep it fairly high level. So we can really talk, not necessarily about individual moves, but based on the categories of moves, like the phases. And that's really important. More so than even being steps, they're really phases. And an organization has a life cycle and there's phases to a rebuild. And so as we go through these, I think it's important to note that it's really a high level philosophical construct it's really okay where are we right now as a organization and where should our priorities be and how many items are we going to discuss i have 8 phases to talk about
1: Okay, so phase one, which I guess you could also say is like your first priority. What's the first thing you're going to do, Mr. Brandon Bean, if you come in and we hand you the keys to the Buffalo Bills? What would you say his
2: answer was? I would say his answer was we need to bring in top flight front office talent. This is an organization that has made historically bad personnel moves over the last 20 years, The Bills' first-round picks from 1999 to 2016 were not exactly something that spoke to a really strong front office that could evaluate talent. In addition, they've had some less-than-stellar free agent classes come in. And really, if you can't get good players, then it's going to make the rest of your job really hard, no matter how good the coaches are not being able to bring in the right talent is going to be the death knell of an organization. So the most important thing right off the bat is let's evaluate the front office right now and let's bring in top front office talent. And Bean did that. Joe Shane, Lake Dawson, Brian Gain. He brought in these people and said, listen, these guys are rising stars in this profession. All of them could go on to be GM somewhere else. Let's go ahead and... Spend the money necessary to bring them in, get a collection of good minds. I don't have a high ego. That's one of the important things about Brandon Bean. Brandon Bean is not threatened by Joe Shane. He's not threatened by Lake Dawson. He wasn't threatened by Brian Gain. He wasn't scared one of them was going to outshine him. And I know that sounds really strange saying it, but you'd be surprised because football has a tendency to collect alpha male sort of personalities. And a lot of these people have surprisingly fragile egos and are threatened easily, but Brandon Bean wasn't. And so step one, let's bring in, let's inject front office talent and let's take care of this foundational piece of the front office before we go any farther.
1: Okay. So you have hired your people, you know, Joe Shane, Brian Gain, who ultimately did wind up becoming a GM shortly after his stint started with Buffalo and Houston. And then, you know, that they decided that Bill O'Brien was a better GM than Brian Gain. And then, you know, now Brian Gain is back with us. So we all I think we can all tell who won out on that. And what do you want to do next?
2: The next thing we need to do is we need to evaluate the current roster. I need to get me being Brandon Bean. I got to get with Sean McDermott and I have to get his feedback. He's been here for a little bit. He's ahead of me on the tape. He's ahead of me on the discussions. And I want to get with him. I want to get his feedback on the current status of this team, strengths and weaknesses on paper and strengths and weaknesses in the locker room. We want to build a culture here. We want to build the right type of player. And Sean and I need to get on the same page as far as knowing what it is we want out of players. Not just on a depth chart, not just from a skill set, not just, hey, Sean prefers 275 pound defensive ends, not just that. Also, tell me what you mean when you say you want the right type of guys. What does the process mean? Let's get on the same page. Me and Sean McDermott, we're going to get on the same page. We're going to make sure that that is hammered out. In addition, the most important part of a team is whether or not you have a franchise quarterback. I want to get Sean McDermott's opinion on whether or not he feels the franchise quarterback is currently on the roster. And if no, I want to start talking about traits. What are we looking for as a franchise quarterback? Give me some examples of people that you like, people that you don't like. The NFL is a passing league. We know this. The best way to give your chance, your team, a chance to compete for a Super Bowl year in and year out is to have a franchise quarterback. You and I have done quarterback rankings, Nick, and we've talked about how you tier quarterbacks based on how much of a team around them you need to develop. And the lower the threshold is for how good the remainder of team needs to be, the better the quarterback is. And so we want some a player who can not just be a guy who needs an elite team around him all the time, or he's going to fail because that's not a franchise quarterback. So those are the things we're going to get done in step two. So
1: step two is is a lot about learning. It's a lot about creating a synergy between the head coach and the GM. I know it's it's roster focused, but it's a it's really about making sure that those two guys believe and
2: are pulling on the rope to create the roster in the same way. Yeah, if you will forgive me the the Russ Brandonism, it's important to make sure that you're in lockstep. Robust analytics. With the GM and the head coach. And that's really what phase two is all about. So now, you know, Sean, hopefully that, you know, you would
1: imagine wasn't as hard as it could have been because of the history that Bean and McDermott had. Now, interestingly enough, I, you know, you don't know how candid Brandon Bean really was being, but you like to think he was being relatively candid. He did a very interesting and informative interview on Eric Wood's podcast. And, you know, he painted, you know, whether or not this is accurate or not, but he painted his connection and his relationship with Sean McDermott as I think a lot more distant and professional and sort of um, acquaintance ish rather than close friend-ish than I think a lot of Bill's fans interpreted
2: whenever Brandon Bean was hired. Did you get a chance to listen to that interview? I did. I did get a chance to listen to that interview, and I picked up the same thing that you picked up from it. It's that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, There, I don't think there was some back alley, smoke-filled, you know, wink-wink, nod-nod behind the scenes where two besties who were rubbing elbows down in Carolina decided to reunite up here in, in Carolina. Now I do know that, that Sean McDermott wanted Brandon Bean to be the GM because he had familiarity with him and familiarity is always better. And we know that we know what that culture was like in Carolina. And that's one of the things that Sean McDermott feels comfortable with is saying, Hey, I, I at least know this guy. I know what he's like, right? I know. I understand the way Dave Gettleman was. I understand the way the front office was run in Carolina. I understand. I know what I'm getting. From Brandon Bean. And when you're a head coach and there's a GM getting hired after you come along, you want to know what you're getting. And so I think that there's absolutely an element of that. But I never got the opinion that they were crazy tight to the point where there was this was all some elaborate scheme to bring Brandon Bean to Buffalo now.
1: Yeah. OK. All right. Very good. So. You know, again, assuming that it was a little bit easier, at least if nothing else, because they can reference the good things that they shared, the good experiences and the good products that they were able to collaboratively participate in in Carolina. You know, so hopefully they got on the same page relatively quickly about what they wanted to do here in Buffalo. But now you're on the same page. okay? so you've got your front office guys that you believe in, that are your people, you and the head coach are, you know, luckily and, uh, you know, somewhat unusually on the same page. And you guys believe similar things and you're going to build the team a certain way. How do you start?
2: I think you start with trying to kill multiple birds with one stone. And phase three is remove process inhibiting players, accumulate assets, and fix the salary cap. You got to do all three of these things at the same time. And this is where, you know, people talk about Sashi Brown in Cleveland and say, you know, this is the teardown, right? Everyone can tear down. Well, not necessarily. You got to make sure you're not kicking the foundation out of the house when you're doing it. Because a teardown isn't, you know, turning over the entire roster. It's turning over the right parts of the roster. So you're removing process inhibiting players. Players perhaps like Sammy Watkins, Marcel Darius, Ronald Darby, even Cordy Glenn are players that maybe were system misfits or they had bad contracts. You got to make sure you're accumulating assets as part of this. It can't just be a bulldozer. You have to be able to trade for them. In addition, if you tear down everything to the studs and you get basically nothing back, your players that are currently in your locker room are going to know you're tanking. And this is where it gets really, really messy from a personality conflict standpoint. If you are a team and your coach is asking you to go out there every week and put your body on the line to get a W and the franchise is very clearly not trying to win, it's very, very, very easy for you to not give a damn about what that coach has to say. And so when you trade away players like Sammy Watkins, when you trade away players like Ronald Darby, you got to get something back that allows you to win now and also win in the future. That was what Brandon Bean said during these trades. Hey, I want to accumulate assets, but I also want to get a player. So I want to get Jordan Matthews back. Right? I want to get EJ Gaines back. I want to get good players back even though I'm I'm gaining assets so that I really truly believe that a big part of this was being able to look at the locker room and say, "Listen, we're not tanking." Okay? Yes, we want to accumulate assets, but we're not ripping everything down to the studs, we're still getting players. I think that was a big part of this step. In addition, you got to take your cap medicine. You got to take your medicine at this point. You're going to have massive amounts of dead cap. We get that. But if you consistently give big fat contracts to the wrong people, and for goodness sake, you transition tagged Charles Clay, you brought him over on a ridiculous contract. You have players, Marcel Darius's contract was terrible. You got to get out and you got to rip the bandaid off and it's going to hurt now, but you got to get ahead of it. That's step three. There's multiple aspects and we got to try and do them all simultaneously. This stage or this phase,
1: I think to me is a lot about two things. One, it's about positioning. It's okay. We have to be ready to actually move forward. And there are a bunch of things that are going to prevent us from being able to actually move forward in a relatively, you know, quickly in a relatively quick fashion. We could not have the assets in order to get the players that we want to get. We could have players that are going to hold us back or we could just not have the money <laughs> or we could be tied up in a certain way where we can't use the money. So that all makes sense. But I think, you know, for Buffalo sports fans, the idea that you can tear it down and you do not have to tank, you know, uh, that can be interesting, right? I mean, so the, the Sabres and the tank is a big deal. Now, uh, admittedly, Hockey is a different sport with a different kind of draft and different sorts of guarantees the year that Connor McDavid and, and Jack Eichel came out. So I'm, I'm not going to say it's identical, but you know I think that there is a certain sentiment amongst Buffalo sports fans, specifically people who were fans of the, of the Bills and the Sabres, who ha- I have a lot of appreciation. And I'm a very, very, very fair weather Sabres fan, but I have a lot of appreciation that the Bills did – rebuild without absolutely tanking because i do think that tanking poisons the well uh i I know that there's a lot of people who would say that that's silly and that that's not true and they're professionals and all of that i just i believe in the culture and the psychology and that that sort of stuff that impacts the experience of being a part of something and I, and I experienced that in my personal life through workplaces and with groups I've been a part of and uh, organizations and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, th- that stuff is palpable. It matters. It makes an impact. And I think that that's also true of you know, football teams. So do you uh, knowing what Brandon Bean did, I'm going to ask you to take off your Brandon Bean hat and put your Bruce hat back on. And the fact that we were able to rebuild in the way that we did, and we did not ultimately have to tank and just try to get a number one overall pick and blah, 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 blah. Is do you have any preference about which way teams ought do that? You know, were there mitigating circumstances that allowed this to work, or do you have a preference between one way or another?
2: I think being able to accumulate assets and take your medicine is okay. Assuming that the locker room believes that it, you're building towards something. If they think that what you're doing is a net positive, if they think that you're, you're moving the team and the franchise forward, then you can get away with it. If they think you're moving the franchise backwards, you can't get away with it. And that really comes from leadership. It comes from how well your leadership's capable of communicating. It comes from your mostly your head coach because your head coach is the one who has to carry the water And carry the message to the players much more so than the the general manager does. And so if you have a coach who can carry that message forward and make your team believe that I understand this is painful, but I swear we're moving this forward. If they believe that and they buy in, you can pull it off. If they don't, then you that's what's called losing the locker room. And I think it's easy to lose the locker room. And at that point, the coach who was there for the teardown is not going to be there for the rebuild. Agreed. Okay. So now we
1: have taken our medicine across the board. We've gotten rid of good players that are going to cause us to have dead cap. We've gotten rid of good players that are going to, that were going to be a problem for what we were trying to build in the locker room. And we have accumulated assets through doing so in order to be able to move forward and be able to to acquire a lot of things quickly. Now,
2: what are we going to do? Step four is making sure you're remaining open to audibles in the plan based on team performance during the first year and cognizance of the current Buffalo playoff drought. This is where you have to have your pulse of the locker room and understand where this franchise is. Things are not always going to go according to plan in the first year if this team went 5 and 11 i don't think we trade for kelvin benjamin at the trade deadline the only reason we did is cuz we said listen i have a plan here i wasn't expecting us to be in the playoff hunt at the trade deadline but i have to remain flexible as brandon bean in the situation i have to remain flexible to know that we're within striking distance of ending the drought which for this franchise and this organization has been an absolute monkey sitting on our back. We have to remain open to calling it audible with the plan. We accumulated all these assets, but the point of accumulating these assets is to build a team to get to the playoffs. Well, we have a chance to make the playoffs now. So let's make sure we're open to that and cognizant of the playoff drought and the fact that our offense needs a little bit of a spark. And I would make an argument we don't make the playoffs without Kelvin Benjamin because he helped us win the snow game against the Colts. So I understand that overall, in the grand scheme of things, that move was a bust for the Bills. Trading a third and a seventh for Kelvin Benjamin, in the grand scheme of things, didn't work out. But I'd still make an argument we don't make the playoffs in 17 and end the drought. And the droughts ended in 2020, at the end of the 2019 season. That drought gets ended now instead of then because we don't have Kelvin Benjamin to help get us those points and get us those types of catches that we needed in that snow game. So step four, phase four here is you got to remain open to audibles. You got to keep your head on a swivel during that first year because you have to be cognizant of where this organization is. All right, let's go ahead and take our first
1: break. We will come back and go through the last four phases that Bruce has surmised Brandon Bean has gone through in order to rebuild the Buffalo Bills. Stick with us.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T, along with me. Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Okay. So you got to be ready to strike when the iron is hot, right? You gotta be you gotta be willing to take a jump that may be quote unquote premature. You know, It certainly wouldn't apply if you were truly, truly tanking. An opportunity presents itself, you'd say, no, sir, not, not time yet, right? But part of this plan for Brandon Bean was to be open to opportunities that would come about. Okay, so those it presented itself and we can look back and, and, and talk about some of those things that came about. What other things were in mind and on the docket for Brandon
2: Bean? So step five, phase five of this plan is inject message carrier players at positions of need. Okay. So we have come into the team. Brandon mean came into the team after free agency in 2017 was already over and the draft was over and now he comes in. So this is his first free agent period. We know he can tear down. He know he can trade away players. We know he can trade for players. By getting Calvin Benjamin. But at this point, your first free agency as a general manager inject message carrier players at positions of need. Well, one of the big positions of need is we don't feel like we got a lot of pocket push. And we know somebody who we worked with in Carolina who can probably take care of that for us. We might even have to overpay to get him. But bringing in Star Latulule, someone who is process as the day is long, someone who will show this team, hey, these are the kind of players this organization pays. We pay people like Star Latulule. That's who we pay. Reinforces your message, not just from an internal standpoint, because I mentioned earlier that what you say doesn't really matter. What you do matters as a GM. Do you think players don't also think that? Players know that it's all horse crap. They know it's all PR nonsense, but they also know who you pay. And this entire point was based around Brandon Bean saying, the players know who you pay. They see who you pay. And if you pay Star and if you pay Trent Murphy, those are the kind of guys you pay. Then the team goes, okay, I get it. That's the kind of player that this team's willing to give good contracts for. I want a good contract. So I need to be more like those players. In addition, when you get paid more money, you have more influence. That's just the way it is. It shouldn't be that, but it is. Highly paid players are looked at differently from players that you bring into the organization. When you bring in a fourth round pick, they look to your star players. And if your star players are players who aren't setting good examples, that's different. So step five is inject message carrier players. At positions of need. This is your first free agency period. It's important that you pay the right types of people. Let's get it done. That makes perfect sense. Uh, It
1: kind of goes back to getting on the same page with the head coach. And then now what you're doing is you are showing players that that's also where the money is. That's not just what you want to try to build in the locker room and what you want the names on the paper, you know, in the program to be players who have these characteristics. But you're also going to put money in that place in order to make sure that the players understand that that's what you want out of them and that they're going to
2: be rewarded for it. Absolutely. It's not just about it's not just about soft skills. It's also about real tactical decisions that you as a player can make to get paid and to provide for your family. So this helps reinforce the stuff that the stuff we're just saying, we're not just going to blow smoke up your rear end and then let you walk and not pay you. We're also going to bring in more people who are going to pay this. And for the younger players who don't know any better, they might think this is the way organizations are run in the NFL. Their agents might tell them, Hey, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily like this everywhere else. Just so you know, And they might start to appreciate that because they're going, wow, how lucky am I to get drafted into a place that puts its money where its mouth is? And that's part of step five. All right. Go ahead. Move on. Step six is identify and acquire franchise quarterback and defensive cornerstone. There's no question that they're trying to build a similar Chassis to Carolina in Buffalo. And in Carolina, the reason they made the Super Bowl was because of Luke Kikely and Cam Newton. And so when Brandon Bean goes, okay, it's time, we have the assets we accumulated earlier in this plan, we have established that the drought's over, we've won ourselves some goodwill, we need to identify and acquire a franchise quarterback. So let's buckle down, let's scout these quarterbacks, this is a good quarterback class, let's make sure that it can happen. In addition, Sean McDermott's defense is very linebacker-centric, and having a star-athletic middle linebacker can go a long way, so let's find one of those. So we're going to sit here, and we have the assets where we don't have to wait for those players to come to us. We know how important they are, and it's too important to leave to chance. In fact, if I could sum up Brandon Bean's draft philosophy in one sentence, it would be, it's too important to leave to chance. That's really what it is. He has specific players that he has targeted, and if he thinks he's going to get one of them, that's fine. He'll sit He'll sit and you know, fold his hands nice and nicely in front of him. He'll twiddle his thumbs until it gets to him. But if he doesn't think that player he likes is going to get to him, he will go get them. And that's what he did with Josh Allen. And that's what he did with Tremaine Edmonds. That's step six. Identify and acquire franchise quarterback and defensive cornerstone.
1: Do you think that it was a a planned priority to get both of those players at the same time? Because, I mean, yeah, we accumulated a lot of assets. And the Bills were able to get them, you know, pretty much simultaneously, right? But that is very challenging to do, especially whenever you're going to pay a premium like a first-round quarterback. You know, So um, what do you think about that? Was that was that truly by design that they were going to get them
2: both, or did things just work out in such a way? I think the players worked out in such a way, but I think the positions were absolutely by design. I 100% believe that if Tremaine Edmonds hadn't slipped – we would have gotten a middle linebacker in that draft either at that pick or in the second round. We would have come around, you know, we would have traded up again to a different range that we were comfortable with because it's clear that those positions are prioritized by the coaching staff and as such, if you think about it, they might view franchise middle linebacker as being Almost in the same tier as franchise quarterback. Not the same, obviously. He said over, over, over again, it's a it's a quarterback-driven league. He doesn't say it's a middle linebacker-driven league. But with the way offenses are progressing in this era, having really athletic linebackers is the only answer to Lamar Jackson. It's the only answer to Patrick Mahomes. You need to have crazy athletic linebackers. And Luke Kuechly was that. Coming out of college, you know, I remember there's lots of people who thought Luke Kuechly was just a try-hard dude. He was just a, he was a Paul Poe's listening guy. And I can't tell you how many times I had to fight against people who didn't think Luke Keighley was an elite athlete. And they went to the combine and just blew the crap up. And I was like, see, that's right. Boom, roasted. Now I would have loved for him to get picked by the bills, but he went number nine when the bills were picking number 10 and they got Stefan Gilmore who ended up being a good player, but the Panthers spent a number nine overall pick on a middle linebacker. So clearly the people in that front office value that position very, very highly. You don't see off-ball linebackers get drafted in the top 10 very often. And so if the general manager knows that the coaching staff values that position and acquiring a talented athletic player at that position is going to help this franchise move forward, then you're going to go get it. I don't necessarily think Tremaine Edmonds was the plan. I thought Tremaine Edmonds was going to be gone long before the Bills traded up to get him. I would argue that he slipped and that's when Brandon B made the call to go get him. But even if we hadn't made the call to go get him, I think we still would have picked a middle linebacker in that position. Okay. What is the next phase? Phase seven, build offense around franchise quarterback strengths with non developmental players. You and I talked about this when we were talking about building around Josh Allen, making sure that you are isolating the variable and not Building around him with players who are also developing when you have a developing quarterback and a developing wide receiver one and a developing wide receiver two and a developing running back, even though running backs don't require a lot of developing and a developing left tackle and a developing center, this creates lots of variables. You have injected tons of variables into any one given play because young players come with them significant variability. That's part of being a young player. So we want to surround our franchise quarterback that we just selected and we want to build around his strengths. We want to select players to go around him that are not developmental. This is where rebuilding the entire offensive line and the entire wide receiver core in free agency. For goodness sake, Brandon Bean rebuilt the entire offense in the 2019 offseason. He built the entire offense with free agents saying, listen, I know that you're going to get a higher ceiling player in the draft because that's what the draft is for. It's for acquiring those superstars that never make it to free agency. But right now, we need stabilizing force around our franchise quarterback because if Josh Allen continually plays with the level of talent he played with in 2018, we're never going to know if the guy's any good because the offensive line's abysmal and the skill positions are terrible. And if we only draft players to surround him with talent, Sure, we could get somebody who comes in, and we could get somebody who immediately blows the doors off us. That's a possibility. But reality, what we're doing is we're just messing up the curve. Because by the time we want to make a decision on Josh Allen, those players might not be fully developed yet. So let's get a sure thing at wide receiver. Let's get a sure thing on the offensive line. Let's go get the players that we know will stabilize this offense around our franchise quarterback. This
1: is something that we spoke about on an entire an entire pod about whether or not adding an elite wide receiver would potentially cause problems for josh allen because it would accelerate his clock because people would say oh he has this elite receiver and my concern was well what happens if we think that he has an elite receiver in henry Ruggs or jerry judy or cd lamb or whoever you know lavisca chenault or whoever what if we think that we've given him that weapon and ultimately we haven't and we don't know that because that person is not a determined you know figured out commodity yet an established commodity and then that's also why I, you know, I, I kind of figured this all out as the Stefan Diggs trade happened. And I was responding to that and experiencing, you know, how I was thinking about it. That's why I was such an advocate for AJ Green for most of the off season, because despite his age and him and Cole Beasley and John Brown, all being of the age that they would have been and that the wide receiver room would have been old for me, that would have given us though, some definitiveness about what Josh Allen has to work with and that that would have allowed us to determine whether or not Josh Allen actually was the guy or not. We didn't have to worry that maybe we drafted Sammy Watkins, but Sammy Watkins was never really going to be who he was going to be. And his Teammate in at Clemson, who was, you know, considered a far less desirable prospect, and DeAndre Hopkins is actually the one who comes in and has the career that everyone thought Sammy Watkins maybe was gonna have, right? So Stephon Diggs moves the needle for this specifically for me significantly because he is again that known commodity and he is such a better everything than AJ Green younger cost controlled all of that stuff and you know I know that this is something that you're saying is was Brandon Beans for for him to do the things that he wanted to to rebuild the Bills well this Stephon Diggs move of providing Josh Allen with a le- legitimate bona fide number one receiver who is already a known commodity not someone through the draft that really really helps me believe that we are actually doing this and maybe they would say well we drafted this this player and we saw him at pro day and we watched all the film and we interviewed him and we we know we know that he is the number one guy okay that's fine but for me It's a lot easier to believe that specifically about Stephon Diggs than it would have been about T. Higgins or LaVisca Chenault or Henry Ruggs or whoever else it would have been that the Bills, Justin Jefferson, that the Bills might have gotten
2: in this year's draft. So that ties right in with the final step. Phase eight, acquire talent to polish roster and ascertain status of franchise quarterback while preparing for potential quarterback contract decision. Now. You want to know if Josh Allen's the guy. You've done what you needed to do. You surrounded him with known commodities at important positions so that you can make an informed judgment on Josh Allen. So we need to acquire some talent to polish the roster so that we can ascertain the status of a franchise quarterback. But also, you don't draft a quarterback with the intention of not signing him to a second contract. And in the National Football League, quarterback contracts are albatross payouts. Absolute albatrosses. That need to be carefully planned. You don't go into the scenario with a quarterback and say, well, you know, we'll figure that out when we get there. That's how you get yourself into absolute problems really significantly. The Cowboys have gotten themselves into problems because they didn't plan for paying Dak Prescott franchise quarterback money. So then they paid Ezekiel Elliott, but they let Byron Jones walk. And now their center just retired, who's all pro. And they don't have the right resources to do what they want to do. They managed to sign Amari Cooper for $20 a year, but not the quarterback. They didn't plan for it well. Brandon Bean doesn't want to do that. He wants to plan for the possibility that he's going to have to give Josh Allen ridiculous money, which is great. If we have to give Josh Allen ridiculous money, it probably means he came and blew the doors off of us in 2020 and 2021. And that's awesome. But you have to plan for that. You have to plan the finances for that. And what that means is that we can't be giving people Massive six year deals in free agency right now with fat signing bonuses that we can't get out of because if we need to pay a quarterback 35 to $39 million a year or whatever the number's going to be by the time Josh Allen's around, we need roster flexibility more than ever at that point. We need things coming off the cap. We need deals we can get out of. We need to be able to get that money, either have it or get it quickly to be able to pay Josh Allen because that's a significant albatross that hangs on your cap and you need to plan for it. In addition, what that means is that when your quarterback starts eating up a huge chunk of your cap, you need cheaper players, which means you need draft picks. You know, one of the ways you can get draft picks by having people on expiring contracts who leave and go elsewhere, people like Vernon Butler, people like Quentin Jefferson, with these players show out in their two years with Buffalo and then walk and get deals somewhere else, we get comp picks back, which means we can acquire cheaper players from those draft picks that you're going to need when you have a quarterback eating up a huge chunk of your cap. You have to plan for the idea that you're going to have to pay this quarterback ridiculous money. If you do, great, there's a plan in place for that. But you can't just hope that he's going to get a massive contract. He's going to be worthy of a massive contract, but not also simultaneously plan for it. And that's what phase eight is all about. That's where we're at right now. You got to plan for the idea. You can't just go in and say, well, gosh, you know, I really hope that Josh Allen plays really well and he gets a, you know, 35 to $40 million contract. That's wonderful. And then not have any of the finances set up for that. You were hoping for something that if it comes true, you will be mad that it happened because now you're screwed on the cap. That makes no sense. If you're planning on Josh Allen being the guy, great. Then plan for him to be the guy plan for him to be the guy on the field and plan for him to be the guy on your pocketbook. We can only hope man.
1: I want to go to there. We can only hope 2020 is going to be uh the year of phase eight. So we're going to, we're going to get some real data as to whether or not we get to execute that by, You know, by taking that next step and having to do the salary cap gymnastics of paying a quarterback and figuring out how to build a roster with that albatross of a payday, you know, those would be good problems to have. So we can only hope. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for sticking with us. We appreciate it very much. We hope that you enjoyed these two episodes this week of The Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Please let us know what you think of the show by hitting us up on Twitter or by heading over to the iTunes store or by going over to Stitcher and leaving us a review. We would love to hear from you and see what you think of the show. You can find me on Twitter at NickBat, N-I-C-K-B-A-T, Bruce. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And with that, we will go ahead and step away until next week when we come back with more wonderful podcasts for you, our listeners. But until then, as you head into the weekend and you're probably getting a little bit of cabin fever because you're stuck at home and you can't go out and you can't do anything. I just want you to know that Bruce told me this weekend he was going to be doing something special. And this is what he told me.
0: I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a... Do the cha-cha.